You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate. General West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we got to do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Indeed. You say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous. But this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. Going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies and series, including SG-1, Atlantis, Universe, and more. And joining me today to kick off this Secrets of Stargate on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. How's it going? And Lisa Jones. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Doing well. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. All right. So today we're kicking off the series for the first time. So I figured we could go around uh, to everyone in the group <laughs> and uh, kind of say our, our background and our experience with Stargate. So uh, I guess I'll kick us off. And to be honest, the only Stargate I've seen so far is the movie. But it's been one of those series that I've been looking to get into for a while. And so I figured nice. this would be the perfect opportunity to jump into it. Nice. What about you, Father? So... Um, just introduction, just in case people don't know me, because you might have heard me on podcasts such as Secrets of Star Trek and Secrets of Doctor Who. Sorry, I had to pull the whole uh, Simpsons uh, <laughs> Troy McClure thing, but um, but uh, I've, I've been a big fan of Stargate for years. I watched it when it was on the air, you know, it was still on sci-fi. I didn't watch it when, on Showtime because I didn't have Showtime, but I caught up and then, you know, watched it when on sci-fi, you know, I loved uh Friday nights at seminary because we'd watch SG-1, we'd watch Atlantis, and then we'd watch Battlestar Galactica all, you know, right in a row. I can't remember the exact order they showed, but, you know, we could watch all three shows. So it was like three hours of, of geeking out. It was great. Uh, so, and I've gone back and I've done both SG-1 and Atlantis. A couple of times I've done the run through. Universe, when we finally ever get to that point, it's going to be a different experience. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw the second season of Universe at all. so. <laughs> oh, that was just when it was starting to get good. Yeah, I know. That's the <laughs> sad part is I heard it was like the last half of the season. It finally got good, and then they canceled it. <laughs> and what about you, Lisa? I will say I'm uh, from the beginning. So I watched the movie. Uh, not when it came out. When it was came out on DVD was my first experience. Some friends showed it to my husband and I, and we both loved it, um, being true sci-fi geeks that we are. And then when the uh, TV show came out, we found it, I think, the second season, and we quickly subscribed to Showtime so that we could watch it, and then <laughs> kept going with the Sci-Fi Friday Nights, was that what it, is? What it was yep. called back then. We were newlyweds, and so it was our show, and then welcomed all of our kids, and they have grown up watching it. So we have it all on nice. DVD, if anyone needs to borrow, all 10 seasons, <laughs> and uh, we, we still have our favorite episodes and we'll ask the kids one night they're all teenagers we'll say which one do you want to watch tonight and unanimously they have one favorite episode which we will get to in a few seasons <laughs> oh, <nice>. <laughs> <laughs> what about you victor well i i saw the movie opening weekend uh entertainment weekly in their review which panned the film referred to it as if george lucas had produced an earth wind and fire album cover and <laughs> As a big fan of George Lucas and a big fan of Earth, Wind & Fire, especially their album covers, I was, I was there opening weekend and I loved it. 
I loved every minute of it, except for uh, one scene, which which we might get to. And then after that, uh, I, I didn't have Showtime. So when it uh, when SG One moved over to Sci Fi, me and my wife quickly purchased some of the DVDs and were able to watch those along with some of the director's commentary, which hopefully we can touch on as we get into the shows. And uh, then, of course, watched uh, Atlantis, uh, Universe, Origins. Uh, I've listened to a few of the Big Finish productions, seen one episode of Infinity. The series that will not be named. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and now our, our kids are getting into it. Our eight-year-old um, has watched the entire run of Atlantis, most of SG-1 is an avid uh, Minecraft modder when it comes to Stargate. There's a number of Stargate mods where yeah. any any piece oh, of nice. technology in the show is now in Minecraft. And and so that's been a lot of fun as well. Awesome. Yeah. I want to mention too, you know, as we're getting ready to start, start the series, Dom, Jimmy, and I have been wanting to do Secrets of Stargate for a long time, but we're all busy. You know, we all got our shows that we're doing. We all are like real life that we're doing, you know, this whole, in my case, being a priest, Jimmy being in a, you know, apologists, Catholic answers, and so on. But then about a month or so ago, we started getting a bunch of feedback from people. Hey, we need Stargate. We need Stargate. We need Stargate. You know, be, uh, listeners saying, we, when are you going to do Stargate? So we threw it up on our Slack channel, and all of a sudden, a bunch of us like, yeah, let's do it. Let's just get it done. So <laughs> now we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be exciting to get into. It's going to be a lot of fun. So this is really going to be kind of, um, I love ancient Egypt stuff, and I also love 90s sci-fi, so I feel like this mm -hmm. is going to be my jam. Oh, yeah, you'll be perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, just in case we didn't uh, make it clear in the at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about the original 1994 uh, Stargate film directed by Roland Emmerich that kicked off the franchise. He's most known for Independence Day, although mm -hmm. I'm kind of partial to uh, 2012 just because it's so bad it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fun movie. And the plot of the film revolves around there's an ancient alien device called the Stargate that allows instantaneous travel across space. And Egyptologist Daniel Jackson, played by James Spader, and Colonel Jack O'Neill, played by Kurt Russell, lead a team through the Stargate to the planet Abydos, which is located on the other side of the known universe. And so, yeah, just jump right into the story there. Yep. I like at the beginning how it kind of has an Indiana Jones feel. Mm -hmm. I, always en I always enjoyed that about it. Yeah, but uh, what are what are your thoughts, Father? Well, one one interesting thing, you know, when you 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 watch the, depending on which version you watch, if you watch the theatrical release, it starts with the the digging up of the Stargate. If you watch the extended version, you get to see the Ra's host being abducted. Oh, nice! Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a whole about five minute scene where Ra is landing his ship in you know eight thousand BC. And every, all the villagers are running awake for this one boy that's kind of curious and going towards it. And he's, of course, the the boy that Ra takes over as his yeah. host. So and there's going to be a couple other places in the movie where kind of the director's cut or the ultimate edition, they call it. But it's interesting to go back and watch this because this movie came out in October 1994. And in October 1994, I was in the middle of my Air Force technical school in <laughs> Biloxi, Mississippi, in Keesler Air Force Base. <laughs> And so it's kind of a flash of the back, you know, flash of the past to look, of course, at the uniforms because, you know, the I wore blues that look very much, you know, the, the blue dress uniforms that look very much like what they wore. Not so much the fatigues, though. We had the, the camels, not the, the, the green fatigues. But so that's kind of a, a flash flashback. But it's, it's 
it's interesting to go back and look at the movie. And I watched it, you know, on DVD as well, you know, later on before I bought it and watched it many times after that. And it, it's interesting to go back and look back with the knowledge of everything in 10 seasons of SG one and seven seasons or five seasons of, of Atlantis. So it's kind of interesting to see what did they keep for the series? And we'll talk about that a lot, especially next week when we talk about children of the gods, yeah. uh, what did they keep from the movie? What did they get rid of? What did they have to retcon to make it fit? You know? So, I mean, there's, 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 there's quite a bit. They, there's the, the basis is there. The, the foundation for the series is there. Wasn't originally intended as a series, though. It was, yeah, was intended reading. to be a, a trilogy of movies. Yeah. Right. They were going to do a trilogy of movies. And I was also reading that apparently they still have some tentative plans to finish out the movie trilogy um, and basically just have it be basically a side canon to the series. Mm-hmm. So they'd use the same characters and everything, but it would not overlap with the series, which would be an interesting thing to do. I guess it would almost kind of feel how they did um, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised, to be honest. There's been rumors every once in a while, but I'd be surprised if they actually go yeah, through with at this point, the movies probably. at this point. Me too. Yeah, they'd need a mirror device or something in order to pull that off. <laughs> yeah. themselves a, a look into an alternate uh, reality. <laughs> it was awfully strange and nice to watch it again here recently this week after the last, you know, like I said, 10 seasons, everything else been watching because you, you forgot how well they they took what was in the original movie and built a series out of it. There's a few things they kind of had to sweep to the wayside or redo, but for the most part, it it really is, like Father Corey said, just a great foundation for this 10-season series. So um, it was it was kind of neat to kind of go back and wince at a few of the special effects, and some of them you're thinking, wow, that was pretty cool. I'd forgotten about that, you know. But for the most part, it was it was just refreshing to kind of watch it again and remember remember what I felt watching it that first time. I think this movie yeah. really came at that end of the practical effects era of movies right before you got into the late 90s where everything mm-hmm. was CGI. And I really miss that. I like those big matte paintings and the models and stuff like that. It's always something oh. I enjoyed, and I wish more movies would do that now. Yeah, I watched a making-of featurette on, on the actual Stargate mechanism itself, and the SGC, the Stargate you know, Command Center, was, was too big that it wouldn't fit on a soundstage anywhere in Hollywood. So they actually rented this huge geodesic dome to build the SGC in. And just the engineering behind the Stargate prop uh, was really amazing. They were using like five different kinds of fog and liquid nitrogen to create the smoke <laughs> effects and the different lighting effects as well. And the first time, the first time they fire up that Stargate in the movie, just having that history across, you know, 17, 18 seasons of the shows, it's just a really intense, powerful moment where everything's vibrating and shaking and being able to now watch it through the eyes of our eight-year-old. He was just on the edge of his seat, the biggest grin on his face as, you know, the kawoosh happens. And yeah. Yep. Nice. Well, and, and you talk about the practical effects, you know, the whole Stargate effect from the kawoosh to the, the actual event horizon, everything is all water. Yeah. They shot mm-hmm. like a whirlpool. That's the swoosh, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the, the shimmering is shimmering of water. And even when Daniel Jackson steps through and you see it, like it even like, kind of catches, that's because he actually stuck his face in a bucket of water <laughs> and they filmed that. And so it's all water effect, but it looks so good. And I, I actually think if I remember right in the series, they actually kept that mm-hmm. because it was such a good effect that they didn't immediately CGI it. They actually kept the water effect. 
Mm-hmm. I think yeah, I read that they kept up. it until Atlantis, and then they redid mm-hmm. it at that point. Yeah. Yep. That was something I was, when I was watching the movie again this week, I went, is that the same? That's the exact same footage, the, the, the wormhole, you know, and I, yep. I had to stop and go and Google it and look it up. And it, sure enough. Yep. Something I wanted to dive into was um, the principal characters in the show, Dr. Daniel Jackson, he's played by James Spader, who I mostly know him from uh, The Office, where he's Robert California. It's it's funny to see him in a very different role here, where in that he's kind of a bizarre sort of playboy type man. And in this, he's your awkward, nerdy, kind of quintessential mm-hmm. scientist. So I really liked his portrayal of that. I would say you could go back and see him in Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the way back. <laughs> yeah. And he was really known for playing those offbeat, weird roles. So to see him in an action blockbuster was, at the time, pretty uh, pretty uh, interesting. Well, yeah, and, and then, of course, he's more recently known for The Blacklist. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's been on that series for quite a while. But that went for quite a few seasons, you know, and he's, he's been on that. So, you know, he's had quite the, quite the career. Supposedly, they had approached him about reprising Daniel Jackson for the series. And, of course, he, he wanted to be movies. So, you know, you didn't go back to TV after you've moved to movies. <laughs> and and yeah. instead, for the TV show, they got the ultimate James Spader mimic impressionist that they could have in michael shanks i mean you watch the two mm-hmm. performances side by side and the mm-hmm. little mannerisms that michael shanks has picked up on it's it's just amazing um but then of course after 17 18 seasons of the stargate tv shows you go back and watch the movie and think wow james spader really studied michael shanks's performance he's really you know <laughs> <laughs> he's really embodying a lot of a lot of that character it, it's just it's just uncanny the the way that character has remained consistent across, you know, different actors uh, playing him. So tweaked. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And then uh, Jack O'Neill, who's played by Kurt Russell, he's kind of the emotional core of the film, I feel like. He has the biggest arc. O'Neill with one L. Yeah. One L. And yeah. that's a <laughs> joke L. that will come up later. That's a, yeah. that For everybody who's watched the series, as they know that joke. You'll get that one soon, Jack. Trust us. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. But that, that is that is actually one difference between the series and um yeah, I don't know. There must have been a mistake somewhere. Because in the movie it's you even see on the name tag, it's O'Neill with one mm-hmm. L. But Jack O'Neill in the ser- in the series is two L's. That's funny because when I was typing uh typing up the documents for this, it would autocorrect uh one L to two L. So I guess everywhere that's just <laughs> how knows. it should be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And you have to wonder if that's Richard Dean Anderson saying, I don't want to play somebody else's character. So he's going to be O'Neill with two L's or something. Uh, yeah. I, I did actually read that, that for him to take the role, he had to change it and make it his own. Mm. So I don't know if that's why but, they changed the name, but that's. I would wonder if it has something to do with how a lot of times when you're doing characters for screenwriting, whoever wrote the character will get residuals no matter what they're used in. I know they mm-hmm. had to do that with the character of Tom Paris in Star Trek. He mm-hmm. was originally Nick Locarno and they changed him to Tom Paris for Voyager because the writer of that episode was going to get residuals. So I wonder if there was something similar going on. Yeah. And it's, I, I do wonder how that, that worked as far as taking the ideas of, of Stargate and making it into a, uh, a series where that, limitation was now now if you look at the uh fandom entry for stargate fandom about the film this actually was like two movies mm-hmm. that roland emmerich and dean devlin were going to work on separately and they eventually merged it as stargate and so you have to wonder which part got what 
money for what, or if it was all just kind of like a one time, <laughs> we're just going to buy this out from you and be done with it. Right. <laughs> like how that, how that dividing up works. But I feel like his character, because when you, when we meet him at the beginning, he's obviously very depressed because of the death of his son by an accidental gunshot. And of course that all comes out later on. There's that one scene I really like where he's with the uh, the kid. Scara. Scara, yeah, that's it. Um, where he's, you know, getting to know this kid and they're on this alien planet where nobody speaks English. So they're just kind of communicating through pantomime and references and things like that. And he gives him his lighter and he starts playing around with it and getting to know this kid, which is kind of bringing him out of himself, which he's been pretty despondent throughout the movie, very just down to business. And the kid reaches to grab his gun and he just freaks out on him. And I thought that that was a really good scene that really communicated all of that without really saying a lot. Well, mm-hmm. Kurt Russell is such an intense actor. I mean, he yeah. really is. He, he bring, he kind of chews up the scenery whenever he's, he's on it. Um, or smashes so the, guitars. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is right around the time he made another movie called soldier. That was kind of like a, a B action movie about in the future, you know, a, a unit of soldiers that's basically cast off on a garbage planet where like all the garbage is, is dumped and they have to protect a, a small uh, population of people there. And I don't think he says but one word in that entire movie. And this performance feels a lot like, you know, transitioning to that. It's it's a far cry from the, you know, jokey, uh, quippy uh, O'Neill we get in the TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you do kind of start to see it again. Like, I, I, I agree what you're saying where you really do see kind of a, a move in O'Neill's character in this, where he does start out very moody and, you know, brusque. And by the end of it, there's, there definitely is much more humor to his character. Nothing compared to what you see later on, but it, it, it really is kind of a coming out of his shell um, throughout the, the movie. And you see that emotional bond, right? He, he, in the beginning, you could tell he's very, suicidal he's just there for the mission and does not really expect to go home and then by the end of the movie you see him have that bond not only with scara but also with daniel Mm -hmm. and coming through all that they did together and and sending them back home and all of that so it it really sets it up nicely for the two of them to be the continuing main characters going on into the uh into the series Mm mm-hmm but there are a lot of characters, supporting characters, who do make it on into the main series here. And I always thought that was sure. that was really nice yeah. uh, as well. You know, uh, Skara, uh, you know, uh, Kowalski for a little bit. Ferretti. Ready. Yep, Ferretti. Dr. Langford. Mm-hmm. Shuri. Hasuf. Mm-hmm. Hasuf, yep. And Hasuf and Skara remain the same actors. Yes. Yep. I think they're the, oh, nice. are they the only two? Uh, as far as I can recall, they're the only ones because, yeah, Kowalski and Freddy, of course, you know, French uh, Stewart doesn't come back to play his character. And Charé has changed. Yeah, Charé as well. So, I mean, yeah, I think but I think those two are the only ones that come back as the same same character in the series. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember if there's some of the actors do come back in the series, but another. Oh, I know they do. Um, yeah. Richard Blankins, the guy who did. Yep. That does the Egyptian translation. He comes back as a different yeah. character later in the series. Hmm. Um, oh, Richard Kind. Yeah, yeah, Richard Kind. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Kind comes back. I, I'd forgotten about that. That's Lucius. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a much Lucius, more fun yeah. character later on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, oh, that's it. That's a good one. I'd forgotten that he shows up many years later as a different person. You know, one one thing that that kind of struck me is uh, when watching this was was Freddy character. First of all, because Fred Stewart's mm-hmm. no one's playing just kind of a goofy, off the wall, just bizarro characters. 
but he's the know-it-all about the wormhole. He's the one. It's like, why can't we just dial back? Oh no, you don't get it. If, or why can't they just dial it back and we can go in? It's like, oh, you don't get it. If we don't dial it, we don't go anywhere. We're dead. And of course they, they explain that in the series later, why that happens. Mm -hmm. But he's the one who knows all about, oh, we've got to be the ones to do this. And they hadn't explained that yet in the movie, had they? No. No. That was the first time we heard about it, right? Mm hmm. And that was something that I noticed um, watching the movie. When they start up the Stargate for the first time, there's no explanation given as to how the device is powered. But I was reading that apparently in the novelization, and this might continue into the series, it's just the moving of the rings that create the energy that's needed to power it. So there's no, they weren't running any power into the device itself. And that's something they don't touch on in the movie at all. And we'll get into that a lot in the series. Yeah. Anything could power a Stargate. And it, and it, and it needs more including, power. <laughs> yeah. In, including turning the rings. Just turning the rings does yeah. power it. Car batteries, lightning strikes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of things. That's one, th- one thing they talk about, too, in the series is what's turning the rings. The computers are basically running motors that are turning mm. the ring. And that's what, and then the computer senses where the symbols are. Right. You know, it's not like the computer's plugged in. There's not like a USB port on the side of the the Stargate that they're (laughs) using to spin it. It's literally just the computer has like a, think, you know, like a a electric motor that's just spinning it back and forth as needed. Yeah, just into the right configuration. And and that's one of the things I think I love the most about the show and the movie. You can see it in the movie, too, is that there's a lot of thought given to how this technology works or or could work. Mm -hmm. And as somebody with the technical background... You know, I find that very appealing. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, you would need a a device to dial home. And if you put like a defensive screen on the Stargate, you would need some way of notifying the other people to open the screen. And and all of these, uh, you know, there's there's rules uh, about how this technology works and it's consistent across the entire, you know, run of all the shows and stuff. And so that's that's very appealing as well as, um, you know, even down to the fact that some of the technology is given very U.S. military names like. The device to tell them to open the iris later on is called a garage door opener or GDO, mm-hmm. you know, which you can just see uh, someone in the military naming something that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Father, I know that you have a military background. How did you feel about the um, like the portrayal of the military in this film and how they handled that? I always thought it was kind of uh, funny how quickly they go through the Stargate right after they turn it on for mm-hmm. the first time. But I know for movie reasons, you got to do that. Yeah, I, you know, it, it is funny. That's one of the geekdom criticisms of the series, and we've we've had debates about it, where Stargate is run by the Air Force, mm-hmm. not the Navy, so you don't have <laughs> naval ranks. We had, matter of fact, we had debates about that, about whether or not, you know, the uh, Space Force should be using the naval ranks, a la Star Trek. Of course, I promoted the Air Force ranks. Um, but the fact that it was the Air Force, the Air Force is not the ground combat branch yeah the air force is the ones we send in the planes to do the ground combat <laughs> you know so it was that was that was kind of interesting that it wouldn't have been army even if it had been like an air force installation but army doing it or something like that and you know unless these are special forces they really don't have the ground training that other branches would have but uh but yeah there is the issue too of yeah if the military had something like this and they finally got it working you know darn well they do you know years worth of testing with the the malps the the remote control probes before they even thought about 
sending a troop through. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, this was made at a time when you could, you could still have the U S military as, you know, the protagonists and the people going off on the adventures, you know, they don't have to be agents of shield or some, mm -hmm. you know, non-specified D, you know, politicized group. So I, I always appreciate that about the show as well. You know, even in to Atlantis where you do have like the different uh, nationalities and stuff all coming together. Yep. I like that as well. Yeah. It keeps it more grounded, which I guess for a movie about, you know, time traveling wormholes and all that kind of stuff. It, <laughs> it's nice to have that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I really like the, uh, the mythology aspect of it. That's something that I find really fun. And it, there actually is a theory that the Sphinx and a lot of the stuff in Egypt is way older than it is. There's unfortunately not a lot of actual evidence for it, but it's a fun idea to explore in fiction. So I really like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, be careful saying that, though, or people will walk out of your lecture hall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Even if you don't hear who did it. Yeah. Right. No, I like that trope of the, uh, like the weary, lone uh, scientist who no one's going to listen to. And of course, he turns out to be correct. Yep. So that's always just a, like a his grandfather. Yep. But it's super secret, so nobody knows he's right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something else I really enjoyed was the costume design in this of the guards, like with Anubis and all that. I thought mm -hmm. that that was a fun way to incorporate that kind of thing. And it, it, it does look kind of cheesy, especially the effect of it popping back, but it's all part of the fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they, they do kind of keep that for the series. Kind of, they don't, they don't do it quite as, you know, of course that's all special effects where it's right. like basically folding into a, you know, into their back, but they do kind of have it where the, the, the suits open, the masks open at least. A less expensive oh, nice. uh, option. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But they Which kept the staff uh, blasters, the, uh, mm -hmm. the death gliders, um, you the know, hand, uh, the hand device. Yeah. Wow. 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 Of course the ships, <laughs> the, the, the big Gual. Of course we don't even hear the name Gual. Nope. Nope. Alien Parasite. Alien Parasite. Yep. Yeah. It looks like an evil Asgard, too. It doesn't look like the little uh, eel type. Of <laughs> it did. It did. Jack's going, we don't know any yeah. of this yet. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I've, I've done some reading up on the wiki, so yeah. I've got the gist of it, but yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what's no, kind they, of fun is so much of it really did. They, they defined so much, but some things they really kept, and then they just, it just wide open, right? They mm -hmm. just ran with it. I love that. Yeah. Kind of what. What the alien was, was kind of retconned. You know, like one thing I'd read was people had the impression that he was, Ra was the last of his race. Mm -hmm. And the series yeah. doesn't, the movie doesn't say that. It says that it's a dying race, which they've mm -hmm. kept that throughout the series as well, that the Gwauld were a dying race because um, they couldn't reproduce as easily. And because they would kill each other too, but that's another story. <laughs> you know, power trips and all that. But they, they kind of retconned it a little bit that no this wasn't like an alien that took on a human skin but he was actually a parasite and that <laughs> okay, raw was yeah. one of them so played by uh jay davidson who was mm -hmm. hot off his appearance in the crying game uh, at the time and so was a very uh, hot commodity in in hollywood hmm. and this kind of had a lot of people scratching in their heads as to why you know somebody who could basically have written their ticket into any movie was hamming it up in essentially a a b movie here but to each their own, I suppose. <laughs> I think that's one of the movie's biggest weaknesses is the villain character because his motivations are so one-dimensional and nebulous. And then at the same time, he doesn't seem particularly motivated to do anything. 
Like he just he just, he just yeah. seems like he's kind of there, and then when stuff happens, he'll react to it. But he doesn't seem to be super concerned that these people have come over from Earth. He just kind of waits for them to come to him. Yeah, and he doesn't kill them. He has Daniel try to kill them, and then they end up getting right. away. And you know that that whole why didn't he just why why was were they dumped into the holding pit with water? Yeah, right. That, I, I'm <laughs> watching the, that now. Spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, later on, that's not how they did things. <laughs> well, all, all I could say is my, my immediate thought was Return of the Jedi, where they're dumped into yes. that, the, the pit oh, there, yeah. Jabba the Hutt, and you, the water the water prison there, right. Jabba the Hutt, with the big creature. It's like, this is, you know this is where they got it from. You know this is where they got that idea. Also makes me think of uh, Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil. And he's going yes. to kill Austin Powers, and he's like, I will now leave the room. Right, right. I thought the yeah. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be an evil, I was actually thinking that, and it, how it never works out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was up with the creepy kids too? I'm glad they didn't keep that in the show. Like the entourage of like creepy kids, half, half dressed, on. yeah, yeah, shaved head kids. Yeah. I, I think part of that was because there's that scene where O'Neill gets the staff from the guard and he's going to shoot raw and then mm-hmm. all the kids surround him. And I think the whole, the point there was he's not going to shoot a kid. Yeah. So that might've been their entire function also just to be odd, but, but he'll blow them up with a nuke. <laughs> you don't have the to... implication is at the end. That... I, I guess there's levels of separation there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That he's is, not that directly killing them yeah. just because they happen to be on the ship when it goes boom. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> Yeah. I maybe they all jumped into the sarcophagus, you know, and they're all fine, you know, at the end. Yeah. <laughs> they kept the sarcophagus for the show and of course the ring transporters which which are always <laughs> always fun to see. They they yep. do a lot with the ring tra- transporters uh, later on. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like I liked a lot of the technology and how mm-hmm. it felt like you could understand what it was doing, but it was alien enough that it was interesting. And that's one right. of my biggest problems with Star Trek is oftentimes they'll beam onto an alien ship from some race they've never met before and they know how to work the controls like that. Yep. And the movie as well sets up how across the galaxy and even across different galaxies, why they keep running into basically human beings. Yeah. At least, you know, they were, they were taken from Earth to this place. And so, and I, I think that's uh, very nice as well, but. Nice. All right. Well, I think that about uh, wraps it up. Uh, did you all have any other, uh, any more thoughts before we close out, Father Corey? It, it, like I said, just kind of, you know, they they have all these different themes that they they put together, and they play them out so well in the, the series. But it just the basic themes are there. You know, I, I did have to laugh. Of course, you've got the the nuclear bomb that they use that he was that O'Neill was supposed to use to wipe out the Stargate and the yes. planet, and of course, it's got a timer because. <laughs> Every bomb in Hollywood has a timer. And of course the timer sticks because every yeah. bomb in Hollywood that has a timer, yeah. the timer has to stick. I also noticed that it has that same issue that Independence Day has, which is also a Roland Emmerich film, where he's yep. like, it's one minute 40 left on the timer and then five minutes pass and then it's 40 seconds left. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love this. I, that's always been one of my favorite scenes, though, where right at the end where the, O'Neill's trying to get the bomb defused. He's trying to do something and they both kind of look at each other and they look at the ring and go, I've got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about you, Lisa? 
Oh, gosh. I, I guess watching it again, I really wish I could remember exactly what I thought when I first saw it. Because now I have all these other well, decades, I hate to say, you know, in between. But it, mm-hmm. I still loved watching it. It makes me so excited to come back next week, especially to talk about, you know, the launch of the series and, and what's different. And then to get into Atlantis and, and Universe and all of that. So I'm, I'm just... I'm just thrilled. I feel felt like I'm the only Stargate fan in the world all this time. And to know that there's enough people out there who like Stargate that uh, want to hear about it all these years later is kind of cool. Now, yeah, granted, the show did have 10 seasons, so obviously I wasn't the only fan, but it yeah. felt like it. <laughs> well, for, for a long time till Battlestar Galactica came out, uh, SG-1 was the top sci-fi channel show. It was. Yeah. Every Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> Victor? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I love the movie. Uh, it's it's fun. That's what I love most about the Stargate shows up until Universe is that they were just fun, action, <laughs> funny shows. They, they, they hadn't yet kind of been infected by Battlestar Galactica disease where everything is grim, dark, and it's hopeless all the time. You know, it's about good triumphing over evil. The one thing in the movie I don't like, I love the sets. I have to mention that the first time you see the, the Naquita mine, although they don't call it Naquita. It's just this immense set with hundreds of extras all coming down and it's this very three-dimensional, incredible looking thing. And they linger on it for a long time, which I which I liked too, because it's mm-hmm. such a such an impressive uh, visual there. Um the one thing in the movie I don't like though is is that uh giant cow like animal licking Dr. Jackson <laughs> and getting them all slimy. <laughs> I, it's very Star To this Wars. day I don't like that. It, yeah. Did that remind you of Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the only other thing I'd say is million years into the sky is Ra Sun God sealed and buried for all time in his Stargate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, a little <laughs> call back to the correct translation of the uh, of the hieroglyphs there, but <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible to create secrets of Stargate, including Scott S, Thomas, Miguel G, Donna P, and Alvin W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to follow the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash Stargate. You can email at us at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter at SQPN. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the series premiere of Stargate SG-1, Children of the Gods. Until then, I'm Jack Berizzini. Thank you for joining us. Father Corey? Well, thank you, and and just do a little content warning for those who haven't seen Children of the Gods. If you've got the unedited version, don't want to have the children around. It's good to know. There's one scene in particular, or two scenes in particular. It's good to know. Uh, Lisa? I look forward to next week. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks. And Victor? Thanks, Jack. And save Carson Beckett. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, that's jumping way ahead. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think?